Welcome to the Living Hope Parent Gathering Podcast. The Parent Gathering is a weekly meeting of parents who are being trained for family discipleship through instruction and small group discussion. Listen now as we discuss principles for discipling your children. Uh, The next couple of weeks, we are going to be diving into and discussing how parenting shapes our souls. Have you all ever thought about it like that? We get so focused as parents on molding the lives of our children that sometimes we don't even realize how parenting shapes us and changes us. And I'm sure a lot of us would say we are not the same people we were before we became parents, for sure, and how that's changed us. We're going to be using a lot of information from the book Sacred Parenting by Gary Thomas. Have you all ever heard of that before? I actually had a copy of it. It's an old copy. It doesn't even, they've changed the cover of it now, I think, three times. But it has amazing content, and so I would even recommend uh, grabbing that when you all have a chance. But we're going to be kind of walking through some of that content the next several weeks. Uh, Just start out by one of his quotes. It says, The process of parenting is one of the most spiritually formative journeys a man or woman can ever undertake. The journey of caring for, raising, training, and loving children will mark us indelibly and powerfully. We cannot be the same people we once were. We will be forever changed. And I know I'm almost 47 years old. (laughs) Who, somebody shocked by that? (laughs) But the last 17 years, have stretched me more spiritually, emotionally, and relationally than perhaps all of those previous years combined. And those were my years so far in parenting, my parenting journey. So why does parenting offer such a potent pathway to personal growth and reflection? The process of raising children requires skills that God alone possesses, and we are obviously not God. We are regularly reminded of our absolute humanity We do not love perfectly as God does. Our ability to relate, to understand, to build intimacy comes up short in a way that God never does. While raising children is one of the most profoundly meaningful and rewarding things a person can do, it can also be what? Humbling, frustrating, and some days completely confounding (laughs) the parenting process. God uses our children to shape us, spiritually speaking. So much of our energy is spent molding our children, but the reality is they mold us as well. Parenting is that two-way street where you don't even realize how they're changing and molding you. Our kids have taught us the art of listening and forced us on our knees in prayer. They've shown us how to laugh. They've helped us face our inadequacy, our need, and our complete reliance on God. This idea that God can use children to teach us that we have an opportunity to gain spiritual insight from those we are called to raise and teach comes from the Lord himself. Here's another excerpt from the book. Spiritually speaking, we need to raise children every bit as much as they need us to raise them. Having kids isn't about us, it's about him. We're called to bear and raise children for the glory of God. Most of us are inherently selfish when it comes to raising children and we're hoping for some benefit to come our way. I mean, that's why we a lot of times pursue parenting and want to have children because we know we have that desire to raise someone and those that have biological children for someone to look like us and to act like us and to raise little models of us. 
we're hoping for some of that benefit to come our way. And when we wake up with the truth that sometimes kids can be just flat out embarrassing as well as exemplary, we sometimes become resentful and bitter and a foul soul, a foul spiritual climate can soon take over our home when we realize this parenting journey is not exactly what we thought it was gonna be. When we don't understand the purpose of parenting, the process can become very tedious. When we realize again that parenting isn't about us and about our children, but about God, when the trials and sacrifices of parenting are more easily born. Again, it's not the focus away from us, that's self-centered, even our child, what can our child do for us, but that this is what God has called us to do. It isn't about me, it's about Him. The ultimate issue is no longer how proud my children make me, but how faithful I've been to discharge the duties that God has given me. Let's think about that again. The ultimate issue is no longer how proud my children make me, because that's what we want, isn't it, as parents? We want our children to make us proud. We want to say, that's my kid out there, for sure. But how faithful I've been to discharge the duties that God has called me to do. To pin our joy and our hope on the response of any given sinner is never a good idea. So in the same way, to pin our hope and our joy on a sinner who's a toddler or a sinner who's a teenager in their toddler and teenager years is an even worse idea. Think about that. When we pin our hope and our joy on them, that's never going to work out, is it? Along the way that we've discovered that every child has something to teach us. Think about your children. I think about mine. We have difficult children and gifted children, children who make us cry and children who make us laugh children who send us on our knees in gratitude, and children who send us on our knees in fearful prayer, children who excel and children who fail. I have all those children in my home. <laughs> I'm sure you can say the same. But it's all part of God's master plan for parenting. Once you have children, what motivation drives your parenting? Some parents bring a child into the world but refuse to make the sacrifices necessary to truly parent that child. We see that. You all see that in our community, sometimes in our families. Deciding to have children is one thing. Daily parenting them requires an entirely different set of decisions. What moves you as a parent to get up early to help your child study for a test? Or what moves you to stay up late when your teenage son wants to talk? And those of us that have teenagers know that's when they want to talk, when it's super late. <laughs> Why do you go without certain things so that your children can have things? Why do you give up doing some of the things you love if you're a single parent or to stay home with your kids if you're a stay-at-home parent? If you're a step-parent, why do you bother with all the hassles, negotiate the volatile relationships, and try to do what some can see as impossible, bringing two broken families together? If you're an adoptive parent, what makes you willing to take on a commitment for someone who used to be someone else's child? It's a big commitment to be a parent. It's a big undertaking for sure. We do it because we love these children, but as believers, we do it in reverence to God because that's what he's called us to. We spend so much time talking about the how-to of parenting. Raise your hand if you've read those books, and I have, and that's what even this book is too in, in a certain way because we want the knowledge of how to do this because when they give us that baby and we take it home and they're like, 
you say, I can't believe they just gave me this baby. I can't believe they're letting me walk out of the hospital. Like, I, I know what I'm doing, right? But we neglect the equally important of why of parenting. The why and the how-to eventually drives and even shapes with the wrong. Why our motivations will get skewed and while the how-to may be effective, it will be effectively wrong. So Paul gives us a clear why in 2 Corinthians 7.1. At first, this, may, this verse may sound like it's out of context or not a parenting verse at all, and it actually is not, but it is very helpful when you think about it from that way. It says, Dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Paul first tells us to focus on purifying our children, purifying others. No, purifying ourselves, not our children, not others. Many of us are so tempted to focus on purifying our children because that's what we think we're called to as parents that we neglect our own spiritual growth. And I can say I've done that as well. So focused on the how-tos and the whys and things of parenting that you realize I'm so focused on them and their well-being that where am I in my own spiritual walk? Kevin Lehman once said, parenting is like an airline emergency. And if you've flown on a plane, you'll hear that whole thing of if there's an emergency and you have a child with you, put the oxygen on you first because you can't take care of them unless you are taken care of. And if we neglect our own spiritual oxygen, our walk with God, our motivations will become polluted. Our ability to discern, empathize, encourage, and confront will waste away. We must see parenting as a process through which God purifies us as parents, even as he shapes our children. This extensive purifying involves everything, again, that scripture says that contaminates body and spirit. This takes us far beyond the physical things that you might think as far as sin, um, substance abuse, physical abuse, sexual morality, foul language, so on, into the more hidden contamination of jealousy and fear and bitterness, resentment, possessiveness. Paul warns us that this purification process is both deep and thorough and that we never, things that we never even knew existed. <coughs> It will point out our inner weaknesses that we never knew, and it'll point out our inner weaknesses that maybe we thought were strengths. That's been a personal process of mine. Things that I pursued or thought was a strength of mine actually in his eyes were perceived as a weakness. Paul couldn't be clear. We do it out of reverence for God. When we're motivated out of that reverence for God, we lose 99% of the excuses we make in family life. God remains forever worthy of reverence, so we never get excused from acting in a way that moves us along toward holiness. So here's an example that many of us who have some children who are a little bit older have experienced. So waking up late or waiting up late to pick your child up from an event or a trip that they've been on. Maybe it's in the middle of the night, maybe it's a really inconvenient time. Being so excited to see that child and to hear about the trip and for them to be grateful they got to go on the trip and grateful you're there with a smile on your face to pick them up and that you did it so just willingly and joyfully in reverence for the Lord so late at night but when you pick them up what they're tired and ungrateful and sometimes they're just outright rude and if we were child-centered parents we'd feel resentful and immediately start stewing 
well, I haven't had any sleep, and this costs a lot of money, and you are so grateful, and we are not doing this again. And next time, not let them go. That's a child-centered parent. Acts nicely toward their children only when their children act nicely toward them. That's a child-centered parent. Goes out of their way as long as their child appreciates her sacrifice. A child-centered parent bases his or her actions on their kid's response. But a God-centered parent, on the other hand, acts out of reverence for God. Regardless of how my children treat me, I know that it's God's will that I move toward my children, that I pursue them even when they're rotten little souls, <laughs> to get engaged in their lives, to offer biblical correction and loving support. It doesn't matter to me or doesn't matter how they respond to me as much as it matters what God has called me to do. That's a hard one, isn't it? It doesn't matter how they respond to me as much as it matters what God has called me to do. Though we adore our children and know all of you do, we don't get out late to pick them up solely out of love for them, but out of reverence for God. We don't have those late nights with them and hard moments with them solely because we love them, even though we do dearly. But as believers, we do it out of reverence for God and changing that mindset helps us get through those really tough times because we don't put all of our hopes and our joy in them, but focus on the why, not us, but Him. When God does not supply our motivation, though we tend to major in the minors and minor in the majors, we may raise a more courteous and obedient child, but we won't pass on what is of ultimate importance. It's just something to ponder. So the next part is raising children teaches us to listen to God. Being around kids, admittedly some more than others, invites us to learn how to listen. A believer in Christ listens to God while the, the world ignores him. Sometimes we downplay the role of listening, but frankly, being ignored offends. Especially think about, we know this as parents, does anyone feel, does it feel any more irritating than talking to kids who tune us out? when you have to repeat yourself over and over and over. But how often do we do that with the Lord? Tune him out. God remains active in our world and he speaks to us if we'll only listen. Here's some examples from scripture that I put on your all's handout. Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets, Amos 3, 7. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know, Jeremiah 33, 3. He who forms the mountains creates the wind and reveals his thoughts to man. The Lord God Almighty is his name. Amos 4.13 The Lord confides in those who fear him. Psalm 25.14 Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. John 6.45 Many of us don't actively rebel against God. If we love God and trust in him, we are not actively rebelling against God and we don't shake that fist at him, but we ignore him. Because we get so busy in our lives and we're confident in how we're doing things that we don't think we need to include him. We say we believe in him, but what if, what good is our belief if we don't intersect with him in our everyday life? We stand on dangerous ground if we ever let our service or our busyness even for God to push out our time listening to God. Gordon Smith wrote, It is inconceivable to think that God would give us so much to do that we could no longer spend extended time with Him. Listening, spending time in prayer with Him, doesn't detract from our work and our service to Him. 
it empowers it. Think about that. What he's called us to do in your daily life, he hasn't called you to be so busy that you can't spend time with him. He actually wants to, by his spirit, empower you to do the work. We are a prideful people by nature. And pride keeps telling us that we don't need God to handle that situation, that we've got it, we have the understanding, we've read the how-to books in parenting. Humble people listen, though. Prideful people never seem to have the time to wait on God. And true listening is an active discipline. Discipline is something we have to practice and work on that doesn't come naturally for us. Failing to listen is not as much of a sin as it is a choice to live a powerless, uninspired Christian life. Just as we've chosen to hear what our children are truly saying, we have to choose to hear those quiet whispers of divine love and guidance from our Heavenly Father. The great challenge, of course, is that listening to our children and God can be difficult. If you know me, I like to talk. <laughs> I always have a lot to say, but I need to stop and to listen. We know that God won't speak contrary to His Word, so if we are in his word, then we will know his voice. And as long as we remain humble servants and listeners, the discipline of listening can change our families, our lives, and our friendships. If we ask our Heavenly Father for guidance in parenting, in anything, and just as important, patiently wait for an answer, God, he often tips us off on what's going on in our kids' lives. Because who knows better about our kids, us or God? I know myself, my own insecurities and immaturity prompt me to focus on the things in my kids that God really probably could care less about while neglecting the very things God is most concerned about. Because I think that I know what's most important, but if I'm truly listening and honoring and humbling myself, God reveals to me the things that I really need to be pursuing in my children. A parent who listens to God for their children's welfare will gain same, the same humility. At times, again, God has tipped me off on something that I missed in my own kids, and I feel humbled that I missed what now seems obvious. Listening reminds me of how completely I depend on God to carry out the task of parenting. Gary Thomas, who's the author of Sacred Parenting, his friend Annie Carlson said, we're usually so concerned about finding God's will in major life decisions. But if we're constantly checking in with God on a daily basis, we get used to listening and then don't panic when big decisions come along. In other words, we know God's voice because we're in constant contact with Him. And so when those big things happen, we're not just, oh God, help me. I don't know what to do in this situation, but we're in constant contact and he knows our hearts and he'll help guide us in those tricky and really, really hard moments. Raising kids means we need God's guidance on a daily basis. Now really on a moment by moment basis, right? More than anything else, having kids forces me into that posture of listening, which I said, if you know me personally, you know that's not always my normal posture is to listen. In my parental pride, I'm tempted to talk more than to listen, but I found that talking without listening is a lousy way to build relationships with my children. It's a lousy way to build relationships with anybody. Raising kids can change that entire approach in relationships, both with God and other people. We need to listen more. 
Next part, raising children helps us to embrace God's joy. Many times I know in my own approach to my prayers about my children, regarding my children, we first pray, oh God, protect them, keep them safe. Our next prayer is God, change them. Change those nerdy hearts and minds, <laughs> isn't it so? Uh, most of our prayers fall under those two umbrellas of God keep them from doing something stupid and God keep stupid people from them, right? Keep them safe. Change their hearts. Don't let them do anything. And there's nothing wrong with those prayers, obviously. But what if we combined it with a third prayer? God, thank you for the way you're working in my child's life. Thank you for the joy of living with my children. Thank you for the privilege of getting to spend my life with them. How often do we actually stop and thank God for them? I know we're thankful for our children, but it is hard some days to remember those moments. This is what I prayed for. This is what we wanted, because we can get so bogged down into just the hard of every day and the different seasons of life. It's hard every day when they're not sleeping and they need you and are 100% dependent upon you. It's hard as they get older and they have opinions and personalities and you're like, that is not what I expected to come from you. And it's hard as they get older and their little kid problems become big kid problems. But we need to be reminded how thankful we are. Prayers of thankfulness can add a new dimension to our parenting. What if we thank God for our kids more than we ask God to change them? Pray with gratitude for the evidence of God's grace in their lives and then list the qualities he's given them for which we feel grateful. And I've written this down a bunch of times. Pray with gratitude. I'm going to say it again. Then. Pray with gratitude for the evidence of God's grace in their lives and then list the qualities he's given them for which we feel grateful. This practice can be a new perspective for us, can give us a new perspective. I can tend to really focus on praying for their protection to help fight off my own fear of something happening to them. And if you know me, you know that's a big, um, probably a weak spot in me, that I, I have such a fear that something's gonna happen to one of our children. And that's not putting my faith and dependence on God. In the same way, when I pray merely for God to change them, I lose sight of their strengths. Thanking God for them and specifically thinking about those qualities in their lives for which I'm grateful has given me a much greater appreciation for the privilege of living with and raising my kids. Praying prayers of thankfulness regularly reminds me of how faithfully God cares for my children. It not only gives me increased joy in them, but also gives me increased joy in the Lord. So here's a couple of sentences from the book that I wanted to quote that were big ouches for me. And so I'm like, well, if that stuck out to me, then Maybe it will someone else too. <laughs> Praying prayers of thankfulness can also give us a more stable foundation on which to build a relationship with our children, particularly as they are growing. Think about this. In our, if we pray this to God or if, we, or if, if God responded this way to us as he is our parent, thinking about how we respond to our children, if every time you prayed to God, he seemed ridiculously fearful for your safety and then spent the entire time nitpicking over every possible flaw and absence of manners in your life, how often would you want to pray? Not very. I thought, I was like, that's where I said, ouch. 
<laughs> if our Heavenly Father doesn't model his care by showing obsessive fear for us and constantly harping over our failures, why should we build our relationship with our children on that worthless foundation? How much better to follow our Heavenly Father's model and rejoice in our children? So, I want to ask for us to make a commitment silently. I'm not going to make you like, you know, cut your finger or nothing like that. Because <laughs> I know this is a desire of my heart too. Let's commit to try to be our children's chief encourager. Aside from the Holy Spirit, obviously. If they're believers, the Holy Spirit is there to be their helper and to encourage them. But for us to be their chief encourager, I desire that. Regardless of how the world receives them, I pray that they believe without a single doubt that raising them has been one of the greatest blessings that the Lord could have ever given to us. The Apostle Paul modeled this attitude. He experienced tremendous joy while loving followers who could be very difficult at times. These were perceived as his spiritual children, but his love for them grew as hot and intense as anyone for their own flesh and blood, could feel for their own flesh and blood. So listen to the way Paul spoke to his sons and daughters in the Lord. I am full of joy over you. Think about this and speaking this over your children too. I have great confidence in you. I take great pride in you. I'm greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I will always pray with joy. Indeed, you are our glory and joy. And your love has given me great joy. I wonder if someone were to interview our children, and I'll just say my children, and ask them, do your parents find great joy in loving you? I wonder what they would say. Do your parents find great joy in loving you? Would our kids have the sense of that cherished affection that Paul's spiritual children felt, or would they feel more like a burden some days and a blessing? Again, that was a touch point for me, a convicting point for me. One of the greatest gifts a parent can give his or her children is to enjoy them, to cherish them, to laugh with them, to give them the satisfaction that we feel so very thankful to walk this life with them. Keep in mind the groups of people who Paul cared for and who Paul wrote to during this time, they were not easy to love at all. The Corinthians, they fought about everything. They committed incest, some were swindlers, they bought they brought lawsuits on one another, constantly fighting. The Galatians were leaving the gospel of grace and flirting with legalism. The Philippians, Paul had to settle personal disputes, much like a parent referees a fight between siblings. The Thessalonians apparently grew quite lazy and he had to be on them about their idleness. Yet in spite of these church's struggles and failings, Paul found great joy in loving them. He found great joy in being their spiritual father during that time. With true love comes true joy. No matter how difficult a person or a church from Paul's perspective could be, when God gives us a biblical compassion for them, he also provides a biblical joy. So when he gives a biblical compassion, he also gives a biblical joy. And you will not see one without the other in Scripture. And doesn't this exemplify the beauty of life in Christ. God could tell us to 
sacrifice for our kids and we would do it. God could tell us to discipline ourselves on behalf of our children and we would obey. But how blessed are we that God also says, enjoy your children. Our children do bring a lot of joy to our lives and it's easy to get caught up in the tiring, seamlessly, seemingly endless days. Personally, I could focus on a couple of poor behaviors and attitudes in our home and even thinking about my 17-year-old who in the past has made some poor decisions and worry how that might affect his future decision-making or worry about my 16-year-old who's currently learning how to drive and trying to learn how to parallel park and he already thinks he knows how to do everything and his parents are so dumb. And remember, I worry, I have a fear of something happening to my children. I'm like, just listen to what we're saying. Or, you know, not spend or worry that I don't spend enough time with my eight-year-old because he's the youngest of five children and sometimes mom is just tired, right? I could worry about those things and focus on those things. But to live joy-filled lives and seeing the joy our children bring us makes me slow down and enjoy life more and change my perspective and see our 17-year-old and his girlfriend actually break up and see them handle that with, with such grace and maturity and good decision-making that I just think, oh, Lord, you're doing a good work there. I can see that maturity growing and to see our 16-year-old master parallel parking with a big truck, that brings a lot of joy and happiness to see that happen. To see our spunky eight-year-old innocently playing with his toys and using his imagination is such a gift from the Lord. We appreciate those moments that we see in him so much more because we know now how quickly time passes and that those little kid inconveniences and problems do give way sometimes to big kid problems as they get older and what a joy little ones in our art in our lives. So I'm grateful for him. It's true that there are sacrifices made to be a gospel-centered family. It's a natural principle of life that the more time, effort, and energy we put into our family, the more we hold it dear. And it can be a lot of work parenting. Some days you're just like, Lord, I just don't know that I signed up for this. Nobody, nobody said on the front end that it was going to look like this. It's hard work. It absolutely asks a tremendous amount from us and calls us to make many sacrifices. But when we make these sacrifices and the work nears an end, few things are more lovely than being a godly family. The joy seeps over the family's experience to reach even a casual observer and to get a glimpse of that when someone comes up and even notices a difference in your family or maybe you've had a rough week with your kids but you have a moment of joy and someone else notices each of our families will have great challenges and I'm sure if I ask each one of you you could share some draw jaw-dropping experiences and stories of challenges in your homes because we all have them but over time the gospel center family builds its foundation on the rock and there's no joy like God's joy and there's no family like God's family. Here's another little quote from the book. Biblically speaking, if parenting were only about behavior modification, Jesus would have praised the Pharisee and kicked dirt on the adulterous woman. 
Think about that. Biblically speaking, if parenting were only about behavior modification, Jesus would have praised the Pharisee and kicked dirt on the adulterous woman. And sometimes we can be so focused on behavior modification because that's a direct reflection of us to our peers and to the community. Our own spiritual quest must drive our parenting. Unfinished or neglected spiritual business inevitably works its way out through our relationships. If we haven't dealt with our own stuff, it's going to pour out in our relationships with others in a negative fashion. We become more demanding, more controlling, more intolerant, more resentful, and we do that with our children. And our children cannot quench the God-given spiritual hunger in our souls. They cannot feel that for us. When we neglect God, we ask our parenting to become a stand-in for God. I've done that before. I've seen that before. Something it was never designed to do. Christian parenting is truly a sacred journey. It invites us as parents to purify ourselves, to use the process of raising kids to perfect holiness in us, from Paul's verse, to purify ourselves, to use the process of raising kids to perfect that holiness, and to do this constantly every day, not because we just love our kids, but out of reverence for God. If we enter it armed with that understanding, again, it's not about us, it's about Him, each segment will gain new meaning and purpose, even the difficult ones. Romans 8.18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Last little quote from the book, and then we will conclude in a minute. We live in the midst of holy teachers, our children. Sometimes they spit up on themselves or on us. Sometimes they throw tantrums when they are little and when they are big. Sometimes they cuddle us and kiss us and love us. In the good and the bad, they mold our hearts, shape our souls, and invite us to experience God in newer and deeper ways. Although we may shed many tears along this sacred journey of parenting, numerous blessings await us around every bend in the road. It's a journey, isn't it? <laughs> For sure. Filled with lots of joys and lots of bumps. I want to encourage you. These are happy tears. <laughs> I want to encourage you. I love being a mom more than anything. And I love sharing this experience with others. For sure. Because it is a journey. And it's one we cannot do alone. We need each other. But more importantly, we need the Lord. Thanks for listening to the Parent Gathering Podcast. We invite you to join us at 9.30 on Sunday mornings in room 215, where we will have opportunities for discussion among other parents. For more information about Living Hope Next Gen Ministries, go to livehopeful.com.